We have a special guest on campus this morning. Uh, Tim Talley is a 1979 graduate of Lubbock Christian University. Uh, he's been a missionary for many, many years in, in, uh, across the seas and away from family, but he's back uh, here in the States now. He's the Minister of Outreach at Broadway Church of Christ, so please welcome Tim Talley. Wow, thanks for that. It is great to be back at Level Christian. I do, every time I, I come back on this campus, I do feel like I'm coming home. And this is homecoming week, and I'm excited about being here this weekend and all the activities that are going on. And uh, I, I want to talk about homecoming. I was looking for a scripture to talk about, to be encouraging about homecoming. What, what's a good topic for homecoming? And, and I, I thought about Luke chapter 15, but before, which is about coming home, being found, being lost and being found, and coming back to a place where you ought to be. And I thought, you know, as I started preparing this lesson, I thought, you know, I'm going to have to come clean. I'm going to have to confess some sin here. There's some things that went on at uh, Lubbock Christian College that I, before it was a university that, that I'm not really proud of. But I, I need to share this before we jump into our text this morning. I'm both alarmed and maybe glad that Rod Blackwood is sitting over here because these stories have to do with when I lived in the dormitory at Johnson Hall back in 1974 through probably 78. And Rod at that time, Rod and Sandra actually lived downstairs and were kind of the dorm supervisors. And uh, well, I remember with Key Payton, I know some of you guys over here, Steve, you remember Key, and, and it was my sophomore year. and. I love to scare Key Payton because he was so fun to scare because when you scared him, he would lose all muscle and motor control in his body. And I would just do weird things and jump out of the closet sometimes and, and scare him and he would just go Bleh! and fall on the ground and I just thought that was so funny. I was really mean to him. But, but the thing I need to confess, Rod, and I've never really told you this, but I'm probably responsible for the early retirement of... Uh, I'm hoping not early death of one of the janitors my sophomore year. I had just gotten, just after chapel, I rushed back to, the, to our dorm room, second floor, Johnson Hall, that west wing. Went in my room, standing at the sink. The only light in the room on was the sink, oh, right over the sink. And I hear footsteps in the hall and keys jingle. Key goes in my doorknob. Who else has a key to your door except your roommate, right? Man, I thought, this is great. Flip off the lights. He has no idea I'm in here. The door opens. The door squeaked back in those days. I timed it just right, stuck my claw around the door, and went. I learned that, I learned that in Africa, by the way. I knew immediately immediately that it was not my roommate because he would have screamed and I would have seen his body flailing on, in, in the hall. And so I slowly looked around the corner. What was his name, Rob? Mr. Cook? I don't remember. There was a guy that had given a pass key. He was about 80 years old. All he was doing, they had painted the hall walls, but they'd given him a pass key. He had a bucket, a paintbrush. He was opening every door and he was painting that strip closing the door again. But he never got past my door. I looked around, and he's going, 
remember Fred Sanford, some of you old people in the room? He's going, I'm like, Mr. Cook, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I thought you were I said, are you okay? Are you okay? He never said a word, or at least one that I recognize. And he walked off down the hall, and I was like, don't drop your bucket of paint. I, I took his paint bucket from him, and he just set it down and walked off down the hall with his paint. I think they found his body in the boiler room. The net. No, I'm not kidding. I'm just kidding. But, uh, so, Rod, I'm responsible for that. I'm asking forgiveness. I waited. This is my 35th anniversary, so I think the statute of limitations is over with. So, uh, One other story i got to tell you, and I, I, I have to ask. This almost led to my death. I was a... I was an RA. Rod thought I was an okay guy, and I applied for that position, so I was an RA up in that. I don't think I had, it was long before that part of that wing burned, but uh, do you remember, and I don't know if you guys still do this, but guys used to put towels in the, in the bathrooms, in the showers, and put towels over the outtake vent. Y'all know what I'm talking We uh, put towels, I'm giving them bad ideas, man. <laughs> You put towels over that, and a bunch of guys would decide to take showers at the same time. Now, that sounds kind of weird, but that was the 70s. And, uh, take it, and everyone turns on the hot water, even the ones where there's not somebody in that shower. You turn on the hot water really high, and, you put, and if you cover up that outtake valve, it just becomes a steam room almost immediately. And it's just this really cool, not just a shower, but a steam room. It's like back in high school, in the locker room or something. Well, I was an RA, and I was told by Rod Blackwood, we're not supposed to do that because it, you know, it peels the paint off the walls and all this kind of stuff. And So I was always getting on guys, no, you can't do that. Well, one Christmas, it was probably 1976, Christmas, everyone goes home except I'm kind of working and I'm probably the only guy in Johnson Hall, and I was allowed to stay there. And so I go to take a shower one evening, and I'm thinking, hey, nobody's here. I'm going to try this out. Rod's probably not even down there. So I put the towel over the intake valve, and I go, and I start turning on all the hot water things, and I get in the very end one, turn it on. What I didn't take into account was the fact that instead of several hundred guys taking showers and using hot water in the boiler, I'm the only soul in that dormitory, and that water's like ten times hotter than it would normally be. And in about 30 seconds, I'm going, wow, ooh, ah, that's hot, that's hot. And then in the next few seconds, I realize, and not only that, I think some of the drains were clogged up. And before I know it, I'm standing in about an inch deep of boiling water. And I've, I, I immediately turn on the cold water in my shower. But there's like, how many more running, you guys? But five or six more running, full steam, boiling water. And I'm going, oh, no, this is really bad. And I start to run around, I, and the water's too hot, and I jump on the edge of the little uh, divider thing. My little skinny, naked body, I was skinny back in those days, skinny, naked body, the only guy, and I'm going, help, help. But there's nobody in there. <clears throat> and I'm going, I'm going to die. 
just like that janitor, they're going to find my, all the meat boiled off my skeleton in the bathroom floor. Well, I cry out to God. And I, I can't go down because there's boiling water. Now it's about three inches deep. But there's about this much room between the roof and the divider. Good, good thing I had a weightlifting class that semester, but I, I lift myself up over the divider and crawl over and lean down. And after about a 30-minute period, I finally lean down and I turn on, and I do that about five sections and turn on the cold water and save my life. So I'm here to tell about it. Rod, I, I need to apologize for that. I ask forgiveness. Those are stupid stories. Very real, but stupid nonetheless. But you know, forgiveness and coming home and asking forgiveness is, is, uh, is serious business. And it's hard. I love Luke chapter 15. I love it because it's very real. It's right in the context. If you look in Luke 14, Jesus is talking about discipleship, the cost of discipleship. And then he launches in to telling these three wonderful stories. And we're not going to read that whole chapter. I, I, I'm confident most of you, many of you in that room, know those stories. The story of the lost sheep. The pastor, the shepherd, who leaves 99 and he goes to get that one. And he brings him home and there's rejoicing because he's brought that little sheep home. And God's like that. And we're like those sheep. And then the story of this really sweet mama, this mother, this woman who loses a coin. A coin. I mean, how much is a coin worth? Even, even if it was a, probably more in that culture, losing a coin, but it's a coin. But she sweeps and, go read Luke 15, she sweeps and she finds this coin and then she calls everybody, I found my coin, let's have a party. And God's like that woman. Worthless, throwing away things he cares about. And he parties when those things are brought home. And then the neatest story, the one that we know the most, the story of the, most of our chapter headings say the lost son. But this is a story about two lost sons. Both of them are just as lost. But one of them squanders his inheritance, forces his father. This little Jewish boy does the unthinkable and he gets his inheritance and, and he goes off and it, you can read the story on all kinds of wild living. And then he comes to the end of his rope. He runs out of money and he finds himself in the worst place that a young Jewish boy could find himself is feeding the pigs. And he finally says, man, I need to go home. And I'll even be a slave. I'll be a servant to my father. I, I, I know I can never get to that same position I had before, but I've got to go home. And that wonderful story, the boy 
coming home. And the Jews, especially the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were listening to this, knew that there were probably three, three things this father would do. This son could be stoned according to Jewish law. He could be killed for doing that. Or he could be made a servant, and that's what this boy was hoping for. And I don't remember what my third point was, but it's in here somewhere. But his options weren't good. But the crazy thing about this story, the crazy, crazy love of this father who's waiting, not just to say, okay, I'll give you a second chance, but he gives him a ring and new clothes and shoes on his feet and they throw a party because it's homecoming. But the other brother who'd been slaving, he says, for his father all this time, he hears, comes, hears, he hears the sound of music and dancing. Now, that's loud dancing. I'm coming from Africa where a lot of dance, but the, he could hear the dancing. But he's not about to go in that party because this doesn't make any sense to him, this crazy, gracious love of a father. Why would he do that? But just like the father had gone out to this younger son, he goes out, leaves the party and goes out and talks to the younger son. He said, I had to do this because his son was lost. And now he's found. And he's come home. You know, I think, I really, really believe that Jesus, when he told these stories, He wanted everyone that was listening to see themselves somewhere in that story. Because, see, you see, this is about discipleship. You know, some of us get lost because we wander off. You ever wandered off? We become so focused on ourselves. Maybe you don't have that problem. I have that problem a lot. I'm guessing you do too. We get so focused on ourselves and feeding our face like a stupid sheep that you wander off aimlessly and you look up and you go, how in the world did I get to where I am now? We meander off. The lost coin. Lost because of no, it didn't just hop off the bureau, the the dresser of its own accord. It was knocked off or forgotten or misplaced, it was marginalized, it was left out, it was abused, it was dropped, it was thrown away. Anybody ever feel that way? I'm guessing some of us are feeling that way even today. Victims trampled on, left in the dark. The lost son. You say, I've never forced my father to give me his inheritance and, 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 and use that on wild living. But I really believe this story is saying every time we distance ourselves from God, we look a bit like this son. When we doubt the goodness of God, when we try to live independently of God, when we act like we don't need God, when we are wasteful with the gifts, the things that God has given us. When we seek fulfillment in something other than God, school, 
work, family, gaming, pornography. We're like that son. And I look a whole lot like this older son a whole lot of the time when I'm prideful and arrogant and smug and self-righteous and above reproach and I don't understand grace and when I don't understand my own sinfulness. I look a whole lot like this second son. But the great news is Man, we have a homecoming. Whether we meander off, whether we're thrown away, whether we go off of our own accord, God is that shepherd, is that mother, is that father that brings us home. I don't know any of you English majors in here read Hemingway and one of his one of Ernest Hemingway's short stories. entitled The Capital of the World, and he introduces, it's set in Madrid, Spain, and one of the main heroes, or main, one of the main, uh, it's not, a, one of the main people in this story is a young man named Paco. And Hemingway is talking about how many, na- many young men in Madrid were named Paco, and he tells a story of, of a Paco that lived outside of Madrid, and he had a terrible argument with his father and they couldn't get along and finally the Paco runs off to the big huge city of Madrid and goes to work somewhere and later the father regrets the distance the discord the fighting he wants to restore that relationship with his son and he goes to Madrid looking for his son well Madrid's millions of people he looks all the places he thinks to look can't find him. He finally goes to the El Libertor magazine uh, newspaper and he takes out an ad. He doesn't have a lot of money, so he only writes these words in this ad in the newspaper. Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montaigne at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Well, Tuesday comes, and he walks down the street to Hotel Montana, and he sees riot police in the streets. He gets close enough and asks, what is going on? And they said, we don't know, but there's 800 young men here named Paco looking for their father. You see, we all want forgiveness, don't we? We all need it, and we need to forgive it, and we, and we need to give it. God says today, in the busyness of your school, of your teaching, just meet me at the cross. All is forgiven. What an incredible homecoming that is. You guys have a blessed day.